This is Outside Shots, a college basketball betting podcast with Eli Hershkovich. Seven seconds to go. Three-pointer. Covering game-by-game odds and futures markets. It's Outside Shots, presented by the Lions. Another edition of the Outside Shots podcast, but the first ever March Madness edition of the Outside Shots podcast presented by thelines.com. You can follow us on Twitter at thelinesus. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. I'll get to my guest co-host here in a second for this special edition of Outside Shots. But first and foremost, remember to give the video a thumbs up, subscribe, and ring that bell to get notifications whenever a new episode of Outside Shots or any sports betting market by thelines.com is released. We're also giving away a $25 Amazon gift card in our daily March Madness Pick'em Contest. Our bracket pool contest will come out on Monday as well. For more details, head over to play.thelines.com. And as always, join the Lines Discord channel to get notifications when we place bets on March Madness futures or game-to-game bets, including a bet I'll have in, I think, once you're listening to this podcast. So check it out. Head over to thelines.com for more details. But without further ado, to my right, virtually, checking in here with Justin Perry at JustinPerry8 on Twitter. He works all things college basketball betting for shot quality and shot quality bets. Justin, what's going on, man? Happy Selection Sunday turn March Madness. Hey, Eli. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Happy Selection Sunday. I can't believe we've <laughs> made it this far. It feels like just yesterday we were talking about you know how the season was going to go for some of these teams, and now we're here stacking them up in the ultimate competition. Uh, I'm I'm so excited. The bracket I think has come out in such a great way. I think the committee did a pretty good job getting us some great matchups. It's going to be really exciting to dive into it here and just give some of the thoughts and shot quality data. For sure. Here's the layout for the podcast for the people. Before we get started, we're going to touch on shot quality and how you can use it and how it's best applicable for your March Madness bets. Then we'll hit on the one underseeded team that Justin and I both think, or at least for each of us think, was underseeded in the dance and maybe didn't get a great draw, especially with a first-round matchup. Then we'll go into bets for the first four and first-round round of 64 bets And then we'll touch on Final Four Futures to wrap things up. Uh, A futures bet that I'm looking at along with, you know, just Final Four picks in general and maybe a title winner to top it off. But Justin, want to tip things off here with shot quality and shot quality bets. I know the value bracket is something you guys are highlighting over there. So why don't you dig into it here quickly about how bettors can really take advantage and not only take advantage of your site in a good way, but take advantage of the betting market as well. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with getting a good advantage in this world <laughs> that we play in every day, right? And and shot quality and shot quality bets now is really designed to do that. So shot quality got started as a uh, decision-making data set for coaches to use and now has been extrapolated. You know, the same data is extremely valuable for anybody who wants to get a better understanding of college basketball, regardless of your motives, right? Whether you're a gambler, you're a coach, uh, maybe you're just a fan. Um, Shot quality unlocks the ability to understand how valuable the shots a team 
are developing on offense and allowing on defense really are right so ignoring the variance that is so natural to the game of basketball when you're shooting a ball into a hoop from 15 plus feet away it's just there's such natural variance that what you see in a game-by-game basis isn't always the best representation of who actually played better or got the better shots or in in our viewpoint I guess a more reliable win, right? Like if you were to repeat the performance, the same shots by the same players, would you expect the same result? Oftentimes in basketball, you'd say no, right? Teams get hot, teams get cold, players are hot or cold, missing easy buckets, dunks, layups get missed, free throws. Everyone everyone pulls their hair out of a free throws this time of the year. So I shouldn't (laughs) have to tell anyone who's too uh, deep into college basketball like myself, just what the value of I guess, ignoring some of the box score bias that we get from seeing these results and seeing a team get really hot, you know, shot quality brings it down to what are you actually developing. And so we have models that predict our shot quality scores and we use those for developing edges in the gambling markets and have been pretty successful. I mean, you know, the model runs something around, I believe, 53.75, right now across almost 4,000 plays this season. So been a good year and it's exciting to use this data in new ways. Yeah. And just for batters that maybe novice batters or aren't familiar with shot quality, when, when somebody says 53.7%, You might scoff because, again, to bettors who don't bet that often or haven't been doing it for a while, haven't been dealing with variance, which is something that is extremely important to shot quality data, that percentage might not be worth much to you. But think about it this way. A a good sports better hits about 54% of his bets in a given sport. So 53.7% across over 4,000 plays is pretty awesome. And then just to kind of touch on something that you hit on a little bit and something that I use shot quality for. It's not just, again, variance is such an important thing, not only in college basketball, especially in college basketball, because you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-old kids, but across any sports betting market. Because when you think about it, a team could shoot poorly. Heck, one of these teams that Justin and I are going to talk about are probably going to go 0 for 18 from deep in their first round game, and we're going to lose a bet because of it. But that doesn't mean it's a bad bet because the process is there. Granted, it could be a bad bet, but it doesn't always mean it's a bad bet. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, there's some duality to that, right? There are bad bets that aren't (laughs) actually bad, and there's good bets that aren't actually good. So there's winning bets that might feel like, oh, you placed the greatest bet, but you go look at some shot quality data, and our expectation is that you shouldn't have covered that play, or you should have had the total stay a lot lower, and you were on the over. And what that allows us to do is kind of refine our process based on multiple data points, right? It's not just this one result that we have to try to evaluate if we've won our bet or not. It's like a second option to help further understand, all right, did I get a little lucky? You know, did this team that I bet on actually put themselves in the place to win my wager and then also execute or were we missing execution were we missing the you know actual like underneath performance and just hit all of our threes I've won plenty of bets because the other team just didn't hit anything I mean that's the greatest thing in the world but like you know you're gonna win you know like 25% of your bets and you're gonna lose 25% of your bets because of just variance related things one team's hot one team's not it's that other 50% of those bets that you want to put yourself in the best position possible when it's almost like both teams are in like a relatively normal zone in terms of like the craziness that can happen on a college basketball floor 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because think about UNC last year, right? The the favorite to win it all. They faced some teams on their run to the title game, obviously losing to Kansas at the buzzer. Caleb Love airball on a three, I believe, and just a terrible couple possessions after Baycott hurt his ankle. But they faced some teams that struggled from three, and this was a team that had a or allowed a pretty high open open amount of threes. Go back to the UCLA game and the Sweet 16, a team that didn't shoot threes very well. So the Tar Heels definitely got lucky on that run. Granted, they had a very talented team that underperformed in the regular season, but just something to note there when you think about variance and you might get a team, you might have a Final Four Futures bet or a team like Justin mentioned on a game-by-game basis that wins a given game, goes on a deep run because they receive variance. And that doesn't always mean it's the correct side or the correct kind of run, I guess. Like, look at UCLA going back to 2021. They lived on mid-range jump shots. And they also got a lot of variance from their opponents from the free throw line. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't have made that run. That also means that they didn't get lucky. So all those things go into play when you're looking at if a team should have covered, if a team should have made it all the way to the title game like UNC. But Justin, want to dive in here before we get into bats here for the first four and the first round of 64, looking at an underseeded team in the bracket. So for me, when I look at each region, what sticks out to me is the Midwest region because Texas A&M, after making it, to the SEC championship game and obviously getting blitzed by Alabama. Maybe if that game was a little closer, then they don't end up with the number seven seed. Or obviously, if the Aggies win the game outright, they definitely don't end up with that number seven seed. But I still thought AM probably should have gotten a number six seed when you dig into some of their metrics and how good this team is on the glass, just and in the SEC as well. It wasn't necessarily a, a top two conference. I think the Big 12 and Big 10 take the cake there, but still a top four conference across college basketball in the context of how well they performed against SEC opponents. And they get Penn State in the first round. I know you have a bet on this game that we'll maybe get to a little bit later, but they face the number 10 seed Nittany Lions, and it is an awful matchup for the Aggies considering Penn State doesn't turn the basketball over very often. They shoot a ton of threes, and A&M allows a pretty high open three-point attempt rate when you go look at the shot quality data. So just a couple of big areas where the Aggies could get exposed against this Nittany Lions team that made it all the way to the Big Ten championship game, tournament championship game itself. Yeah, no, definitely going to be a a tough path for them. That Midwest region is very interesting. I was going to go there too myself. I was going to talk a little bit about Iowa State, who is a sixth seed. I feel like they are a little underseeded. I know that they had a a tough stretch, um, but... You know, I feel like the defense is so legitimate that they getting put on the sixth line instead of probably I, I thought that they deserved a five. I know that, you know, there was a couple bad games, but what teams in this five, six range haven't had a couple bad games? Um, it's it's there's a lot of parody in college basketball this year, and that's what makes this bracket and these conversations so much fun, is because there is so much like truth to almost anyone's argument like everyone has a point um which is so great uh but you know yeah i think iowa state is in a little bit of a tough draw i really like texas in that region obviously houston's over there uh you talk about a tough even like 5 12 matchup between miami and and drake in the midwest it's no it's gonna mirror, be which is big for the canes 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm, I'm excited about this. I think this Midwest is going to be one of the most exciting ones to watch. Um, but yeah, I do think they're a little underseated there in Iowa State. And another one is the a six across the board here uh, in the South. I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if you agree with me, Eli, but I feel like Creighton got a little bit penalized for the absence of Kalkbrenner for a lot of their season. Um, I think everyone was so high on Creighton that like they were so naturally set up to fail this season. Like there was very little way that they were going to deliver, uh, especially battling injuries. 12 losses is just, you know, a little bit of a result of that and shot quality. This is going to be one of those teams in shot quality that isn't going to be that far down. We have them as our 20th best team. So we probably expect them to be on the four five line uh, rather than like the five, six line here. So uh, yeah, could be an interesting spot for Creighton in the East. Of course, I have to go through Alabama top seed. I mean, well, in the South uh, top seed, of course, and, and it's going to be a tough run. I don't know. I don't know. Creighton, Creighton could wake up and, and they have the ability on both sides of the ball there to really get it done. So it should be pretty interesting. Uh, other teams that just, you know, shot quality is really high on that things maybe didn't work out this season. Uh, Iowa is, is the number six team in shot quality, just hasn't been able to hit the shots that they're able to generate. Uh, Illinois is a top 10 shot quality team at the moment. So they're pretty strong. Um, but those are so, and then Creighton is top 20. So those are some of the bigger seeding mismatches that we have over at SQ. Cause again, you and I, it's not like we're just looking at data and not to I'm, shot quality data is fantastic from a betting standpoint. Not the end all be all of course. Right. You look at a team cause Illinois stands out and I'll, I'll touch on their first round matchup against Arkansas a bit later on. That's a team that cohesion wise from a, when you look at that game against Penn state, you look at how, Poorly, they played down the stretch. Granted, they didn't have Terrence Shannon Jr. when they probably should have won at Assembly Hall against Indiana going back to mid to late February. But that's a team that I don't think Brad Underwood really developed as well as the projections say it should have happened. So you definitely have to take into account a bunch of different variables. But you mentioned parity within that, Justin. And you look at the 2014 NCAA tournament with Connecticut and Kentucky. You had a number seven seed UConn Huskies team win it all that year. And both teams underperformed. The Wildcats were the number eight seed and obviously upset the one seed in their region, which stayed on the way to the national championship game. That was Julius Randle and the Harrison Twins. But I don't think we've seen a parody-filled college basketball season, let alone NCAA tournament like this. So I think we're going to have a lot to discuss and a lot of potential upsets here as we move along. No, no doubt. No doubt about it, right? I mean, you want to talk about a season like that. I mean, there's a team like Northwestern sitting on a seven seed that I feel like if they they have the type of guards and the type of play that could make some of those big, you know, top five seeds crumble if if they meet in like the wrong scenarios and they match up poorly. They it's it's a tough team to beat. And and you look at a lot of like the seven, six seeds, like they are some of the tougher teams of the season. I mean, Creighton alone, right? As a six is is pretty formidable. Kentucky, you're running into Kentucky as a six. That's not fun. If they, you know, of course don't stumble against Providence, which is yet to be seen, only about a three. Bryce Hopkins line. revenge game. Yeah, I know. I know. It's gonna be that's gonna be a great one. 
Um, but, you know, there's there's so much at play here. And even that matchup with Kentucky and Providence being such a close one, we have like a couple 10 seeds literally favored. Um, it's it's going to be really great. I don't think that there's, um, you know, a lot of historical relevance when you have that type of thing. Like, you know, I, I everyone talks about, oh, this seed covers this much. I don't know if you should really be factoring that in. I know, you know, the odds makers definitely are not. Um, You know, it's all about how these teams literally match up in terms of their efficiencies, expected efficiencies. And uh, we know defensive efficiency has been a really, really key metric in terms of figuring out who gets deep into this tournament. Yeah, defense travels. And I know that's a cliche that nobody wants to hear on any podcast anymore, but it definitely matters. For the NCAA tournament. Exactly, exactly. So uh, let's go into a couple different matchups each, and then I know you have a bunch of bets, Justin, and if you don't follow Justin Perry on Twitter, you'll definitely want to at JustinPerry8 to follow him for all of his bets. But I want to start off with one of the most vulnerable teams to me in the bracket, let alone among the number four seeds. And just starting off surface level here, it's not just Virginia. It's arguably the most vulnerable, exploitable group of number four seeds over the last 15 years when you look at Kempom and a bunch of different metric sites. So this is, it's not just the Who's that can get upset. There are Indiana Hoosiers. I know you bet Indiana. We'll talk about Indiana in a bit, but that's a team that scares the hell out of me yeah, for a should. lot of different reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it should. So uh, the team that, uh, again, I mentioned Virginia, uh, a bet that I haven't made myself, and but uh, just a line that kind of sticks out to me that differs from my numbers. I make this game closer to Virginia minus three and a half, minus four in between there, and obviously the spread as of this recording late Sunday night is sitting around uh, Virginia minus five, minus five and a half, so definitely a bit of an edge there. You were talking about disagreeing with the market earlier, Justin, when it comes to shot quality data. My numbers definitely disagree with the market there. And you think about a Virginia team that's been overvalued consistently in the betting market. Now, I had a Virginia futures bet to win the ACC regular season title, and I got dead heat on that when they tied somehow miraculously with Pitt uh, on the final day or the final day of their conference play going back to a couple Saturdays ago. But Losing to Duke in the ACC tournament championship game. And this is a pack line defense, obviously a vaunted pack line defense under Tony Bennett, but they allow a lot of open threes. Uh, they allow the uh, a top 50 opponents three-point scoring rate. So obviously when, just in general, when a defense tries to pack you in and limit dribble penetration, you're going to naturally allow, in theory, more threes. And Furman puts up the 13th highest three-point attempt rate across college basketball. This is a team, Justin, I want to get your take on this game in a second, but a team that I think just needed to get the monkey off their back to get into the dance to win a SOCON tournament championship. And then I think the pressure will be off. But Sloss and Pegues, this this team runs a five-out offense that I think can space out Virginia, and I think will at least keep this game within a couple possessions. And also, it's the antithesis of Virginia from a tempo standpoint. UVA wants to slow it down. Furman, a top 55 adjusted tempo, actually a top 55 average possession length across college basketball. So I think Furman matches up well. I think the number is inflated. What say you here? 
Yeah, so I mean, I think I'm with you. It's a little bit big. You know, shot quality is going to come in and have this right around five points. Uh, so we are making this one 58.4 for Furman and 63.1 for Virginia. So, uh, you know, but that's with so shot quality is a little bit slow notoriously to adjust because we don't have uh you know instant player changes like if if a player like you know Vanderplas goes out with a broken hand we don't necessarily yeah. instantly snap it it depends on how the team starts to shoot and that's reflected so uh this is really built from the entire body of work that Virginia has put together which clearly deserves a bit of a downgrade now um I, I do think Furman is going to give them a run and I do agree this is one of the weaker uh four lines we seen recently of course uh, a lot of people like UConn still so it's a little bit up and Good down luck. I yeah I know um but you know again I think Furman should be able to come out and like you said they have some really great metrics that we actually love to key in on they are sixth in rim and three rate so 89.1 percent of their possessions result in an attempt at the rim or from three so just taking the most valuable shots in terms of converting your possessions into points uh spacing is elite top 10 percentile in spacing so really excited to see what they're able to do and of course uh the types of shots they're able to produce one of my favorite metrics that we are able to develop from our positional data is shot selection data and so Furman takes the 22nd best shots in all of division one Virginia is going to limit opponents to the 73rd best shots defensively. So 73rd worst, right? Allowed 73rd best. I don't know. It's, it's all arbitrary. Good defense, but good defense sure. right? Top 20 percentile defense in terms of shot selection. Um, but on the other side of the ball is where I think things are going to get a little bit more interesting. Uh, you know, Furman's defense is not exactly anything to write home about. They're below average in terms of shot quality, 194th by our metrics. And they do allow a very high rim and three rate. So they let their opponents get good looks. So this is going to be to me if the offense can like keep up with what the defense allows they should be able to cover this but their their issue is going to be locking it down Virginia is a pretty well run machine they were our 16th best offense throughout the season um, you know and expected to actually have some positive regression in their favor uh, on the offensive side of the ball really really strong in the half court run the you know a really high rate of half court offense top 50 in executing it by expectations um, and and really nice in the mid-range like they just finish those possessions in the mid-range they shoot a lot of mid-range shots which usually isn't great but you know in Virginia's case they're just able to get it done and it would this is actually a, a place where Furman excels so if if they can stop those mid-range looks from going down and alter what Virginia kind of aims to do they definitely could disrupt if the offense comes to play um, but you're really relying on Furman to come and shoot like I guess not the lights out but their expected rates are better. If not, yeah. you're just not covering. So, <laughs> and you're gonna get right, and you're gonna get. Assuming the efficiency is there, you're going to get open looks against this pack line defense. You mentioned Virginia's mid range shot selection. Nobody, I don't want to say nobody, but there aren't a lot of uh, college basketball players that shoots more mid range jump shots than Jaden Gardner. East Carolina transfer uh, going back to a couple of years ago. So this is a UVA team that's improved its three-point efficiency in its own right this year, especially with Armand Franklin. But you mentioned it at the beginning, Justin, 
Ben Vanderplas, even though he's not a good defender, not having him on the floor in a game where you might have to play a little smaller against a Furman team that, again, can play five out is definitely worth noting for this kind of a matchup. But I want to dive into now your, I don't know if you want to say your favorite bet. You gave me a list of three among the crap ton of bets that you have for the Rata 64 and the first four here in the NCAA tournament bracket. It doesn't even feel real to be breaking this down right now, man. It is. It's awesome. But why don't you give me your favorite bet or one of your favorite bets here for the first four of the Rata 64? Man, this is a this is a tough one, but you know, I, I'm someone who's I guess my my whole betting strategy has always come from the information available from models and and shot quality has become kind of like my my life I guess is the best way to put it but you know I still pay a lot of attention to what all the most respected models out there do I mean my first like experience handicapping came from like an aggregate like I guess like semi learning model that situationally like rated Ken Palm, Hasla, Torvik and all that good stuff to like find where, you know, their agreements best worked against the spread. Um, so I still, you know, look at some of that stuff and, and something that's kind of popping amongst all of those like actually incredible models that really do set these lines now and, you know, the market and the public fully respect uh, is is still the San Diego State team. I mean, I, I'm I'm seeing it, you know, a lot closer to eight points. And I think San Diego State is really going to be able to take care of business against the Charleston team that has been fairly knocked by their strength of schedule, right? Like they were not making it if they did not win the Colonial. The Colonial hasn't been great. Um, and, you know, some of their wins this season in the non-conference look really different in my eyes because they won them at home for the Charleston Invitational at the beginning of the season when they Good hosted point. that tournament, right? So they beat some interesting teams in the non-con, but I don't really think that they've been able to do very well on the road against this type of team. Uh, <laughs> it just might be a, a tough challenge. I mean, I've... I've, look, I know that I've personally fallen in love with the San Diego State team before and had them going far in like my brackets even before, you know, I was like professionally covering the sport. Like I, I know I remember the pain of like San Diego State teams just not going very far. Brian, that's your fever, man. I know, I know. But in this first round here, I just can't help but think that they're going to have the defense to lock it down. Uh, you know, they don't really shoot a lot of threes, but they're super efficient at the rim. I think it's going to be tough for Charleston to handle. Um, I, I just I just think this number is a little too short. And I think this is, you know, Charleston had a storied season, is going to go dancing, is going to give it to them probably for a while. But, you know, come that that under 12 minute type of play in the second half. I just really like San Diego state to pull away. Uh, five's just not going to be enough. So I, I think that's a really smart play. Uh, one of my few actually for Thursday. Okay. So no, I great breakdown by you there and looking at this thing. Cause this is going to be a pace play too. I mentioned that with Virginia and Furman, San Diego state wants to slow you down in a big way. Charleston wants to speed you up. So Granted, this San Diego State defense, one of the best perimeter defenses in college basketball, and they're not really due for regression because it's it's interesting when you dive into defensive profiles, especially against the elite 
upper echelon perimeter defenses. Sometimes it's just that their opponents are, or they're getting lucky because their opponents are missing threes. But for the Aztecs, they pressure the ball and they don't allow clean looks. They allow very little airspace from behind the arc. And this is a Charleston team that puts up the 28th highest three-point scoring rate in the country. And then you couple that with San Diego State's ball screen defense. You mentioned how Dutcher teams are maybe underseeded or have a, a profile of a team that can make a run because of their elite defense. This ball screen defense for San Diego State, I would say, isn't as nearly as elite as we've seen in years past. I think the the shot quality at data would agree with me there. But yeah, I think the Aztecs, defensively from a physicality standpoint, if they're able to control the tempo, because again, if Charleston is doing that and they're getting open looks in transition, even though they're up against an elite defense overall, then then good night. Because San Diego State, it's kind of similar, just because this is the first matchup that pops into my head when you go back to when Virginia was upset by UMBC. Going back to that who's team, you play at such a slow tempo that you only have so many possessions to make up for a massive deficit. So I agree with you that San Diego State should theoretically control the tempo. And again, with those defensive guards with Lamont Butler and Darion Trammell, the Seattle transfer, Matt Bradley, uh, they generate turnovers, even though Charleston doesn't turn over a ton. So, But if Charleston's controlling the pace and hitting threes, I think it's going to be tough for San Diego State's offense to make up for it. Yeah, no, they're going to need to like methodically shut them down, essentially. If if they're able to get their looks, it's going to be tough. But, you know, we rate them as the seventh best defense in the country against off-the-dribble three-pointers, which this Charleston team takes at a top 100 yeah. frequency. Um, they love the catch-and-shoot threes as well, and, and San Diego State is used to defending that out in the Mountain West. So I think that what Charleston brings to the table is not anything that San Diego State isn't used to. And, you know, what's really interesting is you go on our, our shot quality bets, matchup breakdowns, and you have all this like green versus red. And Charleston's actually, there's a lot of green on their defense, but it's hard to take that like seriously because think about who they were defending, right? Like it right. might look like they don't allow a lot of isolation points per possession, but you got to think that they were, you know, the positive side of the mismatch in most isolation situations in the colonial. So like, I just don't know if they're, you know, fully ready to go up against a team uh, like San Diego State that has some very good defensive guards that are going to be able to take away their best weapons, um, that are efficient attacking the rim, that run the pick and roll effectively, uh, that know how to get moves uh, down low in the post to open up effective mid-range looks. Uh, you know, and then again, they're a top 60 team in defending the three point shots. So if Charleston's going to need those threes, I think the San Diego state team is one that might be able to take away their lifeline. So that's what type of stuff I look for. The models love it. Uh, efficiency models love it. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that this one's still sitting at four and a half fives in some places, but yeah, I, I took the four and a half. All right, so let's keep it rolling here. I'll go back to, we actually might get a couple double digit seeds, facing off in the round of 32 per my projection. So this is Duke and Justin, you know, a lot of betters like myself would love to fade Duke in the past. Yeah. So the number five seeded blue devils, the ACC tournament champs after reeling off a bunch of victories in a row to end the regular season. And obviously in the ACC tournament, they're taking on the number 12 seed oral Roberts 
And you go back to, first off, I do want to say, I think the mascot's name on Oral Roberts is named Eli or nicknamed Eli. So just, just want to throw that out there. But, no bias. Um, exactly, no bias. But you go back to, man, this game is taking place. I think it's, I want to say it's Thursday. Yeah, Thursday at 6 o'clock. Duke lost to, who was it? The C.J. McCollum-led 15 seed going back to, I think it was. Yeah, Lehigh. The, Lehigh, yes. The yeah. round of 64 Friday game around the same time. So I don't want to say it's a bad omen, but I just want to throw that out Uh-oh. there going back <laughs> a ways. Yeah, about a decade or so ago. So this Oral Roberts team to me, I make this spread, by the way. It's it's sitting at around six and a half as of this recording. I make it around closer to Duke minus four and a half or minus five. So you look at this from a market standpoint and from a metric standpoint, because I understand that Duke's perimeter defense, it's kind of similar to San Diego State for me. And I want to, I'm curious about your breakdown on this shot quality wise too, Justin, because I don't think Duke's defense from three is necessarily exploitable. Like this is still an upper echelon Duke defense and Oral Roberts revolves around the three with Max Acemas. We saw that. Or Roberts team make that Sweet 16 run and nearly upset Arkansas going back to a couple of years ago, uh, almost getting themselves into the Elite Eight after knocking off Ohio State and Florida in the first couple of rounds. But what Or Roberts does really well is they pressure the ball. And this is a, especially in conference play, and I know you might say, okay, it's the Summit League. Uh, their opponents turnover rate, they're forcing the second highest opponents turnover rate in, in Summit League play. Does that translate when you go up against Duke? Like Duke, but then you look at Duke's turnover problems, man, in ACC play, and it's it's bad. It wasn't exploited a ton in the ACC tournament, but Tyrese Proctor and Jeremy Roach both can have their concerns with turnovers. So if Oral Roberts can force turnovers, again, this goes back to the first couple games we've discussed so far when you think of controlling the pace because Duke wants to slow it down, which is a bit opposite of the way they played over the last couple years under Coach K, and and obviously in, in John Shire's first season, Oral Roberts wants to play up-tempo, and they could space the floor. So it, it's similar to the Charleston breakdown for me. If Oral Roberts is able to control the pace and turn Duke over, and again, they have the size to rebound the ball and control the glass against a pretty big Duke front court. Connor Vanover, the ugly Arkansas transfer, has made his way down to Oklahoma this season. And him against Lively also is an interesting matchup. I know he's not necessarily a physical big, but he has the size to match up against this Duke front court. So if Oral Roberts is turning Duke over and pressuring the ball like I think they can, Kareem Thompson, one of the better on-ball defenders, not only among mid-major programs, but across college basketball, I think Oral Roberts is live to pull this off. But again, per my numbers, that spread is inflated. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. And so here's here's some good shot quality data on it. So Duke <laughs> is allowing opponents to shoot just 30% from three this season. Shot quality is expecting 34%. So uh, 3.7% is the exact difference in our expectation based on the shots taken against them. Uh, we know that the ACC has been a little weak, but it actually mostly came from their non-conference schedule. So uh, expected to give up a little bit more. And just across the season, expected to be allowing 0.06 points per possession more uh, through the whole year. I mean, that's pretty high. Uh, I've seen some higher ones, of course, but that is definitely on the higher end of the range. Uh, their defense is outperforming expectations for sure. Um, Duke, though, I mean, look, 
good rebounding team, but what is important about this matchup, like you said, that three-point shooting. And what stands out to me here is, you know, Oral Roberts is going to come in as the number five team in off-the-dribble three-point points per possession. So very effective at shooting those shots. And they take the third most off-the-dribble three-point shots in the nation. They take them at 23% of their possessions, which is crazy. And Duke is not exactly good at defending that type of three-pointer. They're actually quite good at defending the catch-and-shoot, but off the dribble is something that their defenders have difficulty with, according to our data, uh, 218th at allowing points, and don't really see it much. So they're not exactly used to it. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. Of course, uh, you know, midcourt Max is, is going to be out doing his thing. Let's hope. It's a really a lot of fun. This team is is really interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I always wonder what if O'Banner was still there. Uh, you know, this would just be like a super team coming out of the summit. But um, no, I think this is going to be a great matchup. I do think Oral Roberts is is live to do it. Shot quality doesn't really agree with us. We're projecting this to be a ten point win for Duke. But you know, winning the ACC and it, it tends to be the history seems to be that teams that cut down the nets tend to fizzle out a little bit. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if fading Duke. Uh, gets you a win against the spread or two, uh, maybe even more if they survive. <laughs> uh, I think I think they could they could end up winning this, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't I don't hate the money line sprinkle on Oral Roberts. Like this is the year they're waiting for this. Um, this is exactly who to come out and make a statement against. Uh, I don't know. This is going to be one of the best matchups of the uh, first two days. I'm really glad you brought up your point about teams that have success in their respective conference tournaments, not necessarily, or that doesn't necessarily bode well in March Madness, because historically you look at eight of the last 20 champions that have cut down the nets in April, won their conference tournament. So we're talking 40%. It's not, it's not that high. It's not even 50%. So you don't have to win your conference tournament. You don't have to be the hot team. And just relating this to the betting market That also goes to show you that a lot of these teams that win the conference tournament, or it doesn't, I mean, we're talking outright versus against the spread, but still, even from a a seeding standpoint, a team could be overvalued with their their own seed because they won their conference tournament, and that correlates to the betting market. So don't necessarily, not just with Duke or uh, another team that won their conference tournament, let's say with Texas, I know Justin and I both have a, a big opinion on the Longhorns that we'll get to here in a bit when we break down our final four picks and national title winner. And I don't know if I'm going to have a national title winner right now, to be honest, because it's Sunday night, but at least final four picks, at least final four picks. You don't always necessarily want to gravitate to the conference tournament champs. So Justin want to get to a couple other picks of yours. And I just want to skim through here. I know you have a bunch. You already mentioned San Diego state, Tennessee is also on your list. Memphis, uh, against FAU, a great first-round matchup, an 8-9 matchup. Indiana against Sincere Carey and Kent State. That matchup scares the hell out of me for, for the Hoosiers. And uh, Marquette against Vermont. So I'll let you pick from that group. And then we'll get to some notes on some of the other games on that list here. What game do you want to hit on next? Look, I feel I feel pretty good about... Tennessee I just I think Louisiana has a really tough matchup here Eli I just feel like they're gonna run into exactly the type of team that they were hoping they could avoid which is the the defense of Tennessee that I don't I mean we people were talking about it midseason this is one of the better Tennessee teams we've ever seen 
Uh, I think that they're going to be able to lock down Louisiana defensively. Louisiana, of course, uh, got a nice big couple wins there in the Sun Belt to get to this point. But I don't know. This is this is probably a big accomplishment for them getting here. And I just can see them getting just outworked by Tennessee in the second half. It's just a different level of motor between these teams. Uh, it's just, you know, more much more defensive efficiency. Louisiana is kind of a team I feel like Tennessee is going to be able to scheme out a couple of their best players and really just take away their options. And they're probably going to end up settling for mid-range jumpers a little bit too much, uh, get chased off the three-point line. Tennessee does that pretty effectively. Shot quality is going to project this one around 15. A lot of other models are are pretty close on that. I think it's pretty safe to say that 10.5 is going to be a little low here. I feel pretty comfortable laying a big number. Tennessee is going to make a statement. This is one of those teams that really wants to make a run. I'm not sure how far I'm going to have them go. No Ziegler. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely in the air this year for the Volunteers. No, I'm I'm with you. And the name I just brought up there really quickly, Zakai Ziegler, obviously, that's yeah. a big loss of course. for Tennessee. Yeah. One of their primary ball handlers, even though Vescovi has taken that role on in, in years past before they had a couple yeah. of point guards in Chandler and Ziegler. Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's definitely something that's going to hurt them against the spread and market evaluations as we go on. But here against a team like Louisiana, who they should be able to match up with well, yeah. even missing some of their better options at the point. I just, you know, this isn't, that's not somewhere where Louisiana is really going to get them. Uh, the guard play should still be pretty superior for this Tennessee team. Um, you know, there's probably some guards who play on the bench that could start for Louisiana quite easily. Uh, and that's exactly what you're going to see. It's going to be in the second unit. It's going to be, you know, the guys coming off the bench that are just going to outplay some of the, you know, the, everyone they're lining up against still. So uh, it's just going to be tough. I think it's going to be a good game, though. Uh, you know, it's going to be a fun wager. I'm not going to sit here and say I expect a 35-point win and you can just sit right. back in the rocking chair. I think this line is set pretty well. It's still going to be competitive. Um, but you know, yeah, we have the edge that we're looking for on a line like this. And this is one of those swings that you want to take because uh, we do think it's going to come home at 54, 55%. So uh, let's, that's the hope, right? No, I'm with you. I, I mentioned the Ziegler nugget, but you look at Louisiana's front court and they run through Jordan Brown, the, the X five star big that initially went to Arizona and played for Sean Miller. And now you look at Tennessee's front court, just going up against a, a big like this where he averages the 54th or he ranks 54th in terms of the possession rate across uh, individual players in Division One. So this is a, a team that runs through their big. And then you think about Kamwa and Adu, Tennessee's lengthy front court. Yes, they're without some significant guard play in Ziegler. And, and yes, three-point variance could come into play the rest of the way for the balls, but I don't think it really matters in this matchup. I'm, I'm with you, Justin. I do think this line is a little bit short against Tennessee's length. Believe it or not, I was digging into this earlier. Greg Williams, who is one of Louisiana's better guards in their starting lineup, was on that St. John's team because he transferred to Louisiana. He was on the Red Storm team that had Shamori Ponds in 2019. So just a Dave drop there. That was one of my favorite players over the last five or you know five years, decade in college basketball, I love that St. John's team. So I, just a fun nugget there, looking at Louisiana. But Justin, why don't you quickly go through some of the other first round bets and a nugget or two for each? 
Yeah, sure. My pleasure. My pleasure. So I'm going to be going with a few bets here. You know, lines, of course, moving, but I jumped on Vermont uh, to keep it a little bit closer against that Marquette team. Of course, we know that uh, there's been some issues for Shaka Smart here uh, in the first round. Eli, you and I were actually going back and forth about that a little bit ourselves, but this Vermont team should be able to keep it within 10 points. I think they are pretty formidable. Uh, They do match up you know, a little bit rough because of the size, but I, I do think that they should be able to shoot their way out of things. Uh, they have some playmakers that should be able to get things done. Uh, I'm going to take Kentucky. I'm laying the three against Providence. I just think this is a little bit of a short line for Kentucky. They have been manufacturing better offense than what it looks like. And then Providence, I mean, look, I love Ed Cooley as much as everybody else. He's <laughs> like, honestly, I think one of their biggest X factors is that man can coach. And and he like is part of the reason that they were one of those stories last year that everyone Shot said was quality. so lucky. I know, I know. And like, look, he, he, he gets great looks for his team, but I think it's just a tough, tough spot for them. They aren't nearly uh, as dominant down low, and that's going to be a little bit problematic here against Kentucky. Uh, I'm going again. I'm laying a big number with Gonzaga at 14 and a half and shot quality is 25 Eli and and that just makes me feel like you know what we've seen from Grand Canyon is just so much luck they shot the lights out in their tournament I think they hit over 50% from three for the duration of their entire conference tournament to get here that's just not gonna happen against this Gonzaga team and even if it does Gonzaga may still still put up more than 20 points and they can even think about mustering I mean this Gonzaga team is just disgusting they're playing at a high level, and I mean that in the best way. Um, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think Gonzaga is a team you want to be on in the first round. They should run away with it. They have the uh, conditioning to do so as well. Uh, I'm going to take Montana State plus the 9.5 against Kansas State. I just think that, that's one of my favorite underdogs to get right now. And I think the numbers come down a little bit, but I still like it. Uh, Kansas State, I think, is going to be in a really interesting situation. First-year coach probably just looking to get out of that game. I like it to stay a little bit tighter and the points be worth a lot in a scenario like that. Plus Montana state has the size and the shooters and we're a little criminally undervalued for most of the season. There was some other talk in the out there in the, uh, is that the big, sky yeah Yeah, i think that's the big sky oh man 32 conferences bro uh (laughs) but you know it's uh it's it's gonna be a really good one i like that montana state team a lot and then you touched on it i'm i'm laying the number with indiana i think this is one where a lot of models agree but the line is still a little short uh i think it should be a little closer to eight kent isn't that type of team that is ready for what you know trace jackson davis and hood shafino can do in the mid-range they're reliable shot creators and they're gonna play pretty well on defense Shot quality has actually, you know, been a little low on Indiana this season. They finished outside the top 50 in shot quality, but we're still expecting this one to be closer to double digits than we are to five. Yeah, and I think you also have Memphis in in the mix there, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. I do have a couple others in here. Sorry. Uh, Memphis <laughs> is definitely in the mix. I got them at one and a half. I mean, this is a Conference USA rematch of old, right? So these teams know each other. Memphis, uh, I think, is playing their best basketball at the best possible time, giving them two points. It might even be three now. I don't think that's going to be enough. Uh, I'm such a uh, Kendrick Davis fan. He best is just point such guard a in the great- country. Oh, he is such a great facilitator, and that is exactly what you want in March, I think. It's the type of player you can hang your hat on. Penny Hardaway finally getting it done with this team. It's so much fun to see. Uh, They just 
handled Houston. They're going to be coming in sky high, uh, you know, feeling really good. I think this is a good place for them to keep clicking. And, you know, FAU kind of snuck by UAB. They snuck by, well, they didn't sneak by UAB, but they snuck by Middle Tennessee for sure. So I feel like there's definitely been a little bit of luck in their run, and this is a good place for it to kind of come to an end. Uh, Talked about San Diego State. Arizona, I think the number's still a little short. I know that's like 13, but Princeton just won the Ivy basically because they had the home crowd. And, you know, that's just not going to be the case. They're going out to Sacramento to play Arizona. I think that's a tough, tough travel spot for Princeton, who just is going to be outmatched. Balo's going to have a heck of a game. I, I think if you like props, you're looking at that. He's just going to be able to catch everything off the uh, backboard. So it uh, should be a good performance from him. And then I'm going to lay it against uh, Kennesaw as well. I think Xavier, who, you know, had a little bit of a heartbreaker there at the Big East is in a perfect scenario to go in and cover a big number against a team that finally got to the tournament for their first time. There's no experience there. None. Right. <laughs> and and honestly, I really feel like it should be Liberty still. Yeah. But it's, it's that's sucks. a talk for another time. It, we yeah, need Darius yeah, McGee not, back in the dance. What the heck? Right. It's not great for the A Sun, but it it's still great for Kennesaw and that's awesome. What are you a, a Kennesaw like what is this? Like a Kennesaw grad just coming out party over here? Look, look, look. I, I like Kennesaw. I think they're a fun team. Uh, and obviously, like the, the story, like going from like two yeah. or three wins in five years is really awesome to see. But this is exactly the type of place where like the it kind of stops, right? You're going up against the storied program. And even without Fremantle, Xavier has performed really well offensively. Better defensively of late without him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Suli Boom is just like one of the another guy that you like you want to have your wagers on in March. So props, I'm definitely looking at him to take over too. Uh, he's a spectacular player that could fuel a run for his team or any team you put him on. So hopefully he stays at Xavier though. It's fun, fun player. Take a take a sip of water. That is uh, a. <laughs> I don't even have one with me. I, I'm just doing this uh, on the fly, man. I'll it's, pass. It's, I love I'll it. Pass my bottle virtually here. There we go. You can take. <laughs> Take a step. That a lot of bets there from Justin. That's obviously the shot quality data is fantastic, but that's why I want him on. He's going to give you a, a lot of great information and a lot of wagers to go along with it. And you know there will be the people coming after you when you only hit fifty four percent of your bets in the first round. Of course, right? You do well. I, I like all of your sides, by the way. I'm, I'm with you on a lot of those. The the one concern, a couple of games that I want to hit out of that. We'll get to our final four picks and, and get out of here, or at least a team that. I like in the market a, a bet that I made before we recorded this podcast. That Indiana game, man, it scares. The, I haven't. I don't think I've sworn yet when doing this outside shots podcast. For people that used to listen to me, I, I swore a lot on previous podcasts. I did. And I like to keep it clean because sometimes you have parents listening to kids and all that stuff. So I'm just gonna let it rip. It's a Sunday night. Why the hell not? That. That game scares the shit out of me because I have Indiana futures. And just to preface here, I think it's really important, no matter what futures bet or bets you have, to not stick with those teams automatically. You don't just want to say, okay, I have a future because everything is matchup dependent. I did a video on this over in the Lions YouTube channel as well. Everything is matchup dependent. And we saw it against Penn State, and that's not a Penn State team that's going to pressure the ball. And this Kent State team does pressure the ball. They have the 20th highest takeaway percentage in college basketball, whether it's Jacobs or Sincere Carey. 
uh, golden flashes will generate a lot of takeaways. And you think about Indiana not having Xavier Johnson. It means a lot in this matchup considering Jalen hood Shafino is your only true ball handler. I know he's a, a really good shot maker in the mid-range like you mentioned. But being the only true reliable ball handler on Indiana. I know you have Galloway and Bates a little bit off the bench. But Bates isn't a great ball handler at least creating off the dribble wise. And and Galloway could be a little loose with the ball. Now, you do have the one exception, which is you have a point forward in Trace Jackson Davis. You have a guy who has a higher assist rate than Yogi Farrell from that Indiana team when they won the Big Ten championship regular season going back to 2015-2016. So I liked Indiana a lot. I was also hoping that Xavier Johnson would be back. But against a team that could space the floor, can space you out, even though they're not super efficient that's where Indiana struggles like we saw against Penn State and they really struggle against ball pressure and you also mentioned that Kent State doesn't have a big to go up against Jackson Davis that I agree with you on so if Indiana again it all boils down to tempo here if Indiana's controlling the pace and getting lobs to Jackson Davis in transition Hoosiers probably win the game by double digits but it scares me a lot and then Memphis FAU to me, even though I want to see the Tigers blitz those freshman guards of Purdue in the round of 32, FAU could shoot, man. They really, yeah, FAU, yeah, they really can. They really can. So I'm not completely sold on that game. Still kind of a toss up, and I know it's it's sitting at around two and a half as of as of this recording. But man, Elijah Martin can really score. Really athletic guard too, not just a shooter for the Owls. So. Two games that stood out for me that you touched on that I just wanted to give a quick take on because I, I love Indiana. I love Trace Jackson Davis, one of the best players in the last couple decades, this era of college basketball. But I am scared shitless of Kent State. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna love this then. I mean, we we're projecting Indiana to win this game by eleven point seven points over at shot quality, giving Ugh. them an eighty-five percent chance to win. I so don't know. We really like the matchup. I mean, look, the passing, I know you said you're a little bit worried, but they have effectively passed the ball into like rating in the top thirty in passing metrics for shot quality. Um, they are setting up good looks. They are finding the more effective ones. I look, I've been down on Indiana plenty this season. I feel Feel like that allows me to be a little bit fair here uh, they don't they don't shoot a lot of threes it's not great right they don't take the most valuable shot Miller Cop is scared to shoot the ball yeah for sure 355th in three-point attempt rate according to our data and that's just like it's low but they also defend the three-point shot pretty well a lot of what they do is is very effective transition attack is really good they don't let opponents get to the rim much so they limit effective looks uh good in the post as we know help develop a lot of those nice under the rim baskets i just think that's the type of thing that you want to feel a little bit more comfortable hanging your hat on than say you know a kent state that uh you know relies on forcing those defensive turnovers well you get out of the mac is it the same thing? Are you going to be able to generate those extra they did possessions it against, against Houston, a team like Indiana? And they did it against Gonzaga. Right. I know, I know, I know. But we'll we'll have to see. It's a little bit different when you're in the tournament versus when you're in the non-conference. Sure. So 
Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it goes. Uh, but they also, it's going to be a very interesting meld of frequent of uh, tendencies, right? Because Kent State does let you shoot the three, and Indiana has no interest in taking <laughs> it. So it's going to be interesting to see how that extra space on either side sort of plays out. Yeah, 0 for 9 between, I think, 2 of 14 overall, but 0 for 9 between Galloway, Cop and Hood Shafino in that Penn State game in the semifinal. Yeah. You could tell I had an Indiana future to win the Big Ten tournament. If they win that game, Ooh. I think they're sweeping Purdue. So uh, everyone wanted to see it. I feel like they would have done it too. Yeah. So, no, man, that I cannot wait for that game. It transitions well into our final four picks. And I, I, I don't have a champion yet. I haven't even filled out my bracket yet, to be completely honest, because of all the work you and I have both been doing for our respective companies. And Justin does great work at Shot Quality. Obviously, follow him on Twitter at Justin Perry 8. Follow Shot Quality on Twitter at Shot Quality. And of course, Shot Quality Bets at Shot Quality Bets. So just want to give out two thoughts on Final Four teams. And we'll kind of go, I'll give one, you give one. And I think we're in agreement on, or one of them in in Texas. But I want to give out my bet here because people are probably waiting for me to give out a bet on the podcast. And Arkansas, I I can't believe I'm saying this because it is truly full circle from Black Wednesday when I lost San Diego State up four with 15 seconds left to these Razorbacks. And I wanted nothing to do with Arkansas. From that moment on. But Arkansas 20 to 1 over at FanDuel Sportsbook to win the West region as a number eight seed. I know it's crazy, but just let me break it down here for you, Justin. Then you can give me maybe a quick take. Look, I like their size, so let's hear it. All right. So, number one, it's baked into the number that the field is as loaded as it is. So, again, you might be staring at that West region saying, how could you have a final four bet? From the region. Well, again, very talented team that I'll get to in a second, but the number is inflated because of the region the Hogs are in. So just take that into account before I break this down here. You have two lottery picks and arguably two top five picks in Nick Smith, who's finally back and he's been playing well, obviously, since coming back in mid to late February from that knee injury, and Anthony Black, who's a very good on-ball and off-ball defender. You're a bit limited offensively if you're the Hawks because you don't shoot the ball really well. They rank number 304 in three-point efficiency across college basketball. And obviously, Smith can't shoot the ball, and his return obviously has helped that of late, but still not a great three-point shooting team outside of him. And uh, Ricky Council, who can space the floor a bit at times, and Black can as well, but this isn't an elite. Jordan Walsh has been very hesitant from three, one of their other freshmen, elite freshman recruits. But they don't face any zone-centric defenses in this region, which is a huge factor when you think about how do you beat Arkansas, especially in the half court, because this team is so elite in transition. You you play matchup zone, and none of these teams really run any semblance of a matchup zone. And obviously, you could throw matchup zone against Arkansas. You can simulate it in practice. You could throw it in to a given game, but it's a little bit different in terms of teams that have experienced playing in that sort of structure like we saw against Duke last year in the Elite Eight when Arkansas's offense really shut down. You have Eric Musselman leading this team. Razorbacks have made it to consecutive Elite Eights, not getting over the hump to the Final Four, but still experienced on the sidelines and also experienced a bit on this roster in terms of two of those teams, or the last two teams that Musselman has coached, Devo Davis on both of those teams, and a huge part of Arkansas's floor spacing or ineffective floor spacing, but still scoring-wise, Devo Davis, one of the better scorers on this team. But more importantly, you mentioned this from the top, Justin, that 
Defense matters in March, obviously. That goes without saying. And Arkansas has the 16th rated adjusted defensive efficiency across college basketball. They turn you over at the 60th highest rate in the country. You have size. You have length, like you said before I started to dig into this with the Mitchell Twins. So the question is, is can they overcome their struggles of late? Because they've lost four of their last five games. But that kind of counters what I mentioned earlier when I was talking about conference tournament winners. Their seeding might be inflated. Their market rating might be inflated because they won their conference tournament in terms of a game-by-game spread or Final Four futures number. And I think, Arkansas, you're getting a really good number on this team considering they were around 11 to 1 or so going back to earlier in the month and even last month. So I really like the Hogs. I think they're making it out of this region. Crazy, but just one more point here I want to bring up before you probably counter and smush my Arkansas pick here. Good matchup against Illinois in the first round, considering how much Illinois turns you or turns it over. Granted, they do turn you over, but Illini issues like we brought up earlier on from a cohesion standpoint and a lot of turnover issues. Then you get Kansas, and I know you're going to like this here, Justin, because number one, Kevin McCullers' back issue is a huge factor when you think about the Jayhawks and the defending national champions. But Kansas has the second most record luck on shot quality among teams with at least 27 wins. This team, if you look at you look at close game luck, and I think 11 or 12 of their wins have come by one or two possessions, which is definitely notable when you think about a team's market rating and how they could be overvalued in the market. So long story short, like Arkansas to win the region. I talked for about 20 or minutes or so on the hogs here. No, no. Have at it, Justin. Look, I think uh, the record luck thing is really important. Uh, you know, we, we, it's a tough tough one to understand honestly because shot quality win percentage versus actual win percentage is is honestly the biggest difference between like what's actually happening and what is you know i guess expected to be happening um and and you know there's a couple big wins there for kansas that actually shot quality had as losses tcu game west virginia game texas tech game all in a row actually between february 20th and february 28th were expected to be losses in the team one so you know we actually have their defense uh, as predicted to be a little bit worse than what's going on so there might be a little bit of luck involved in teams just shooting a little bit poorly against that kansas jayhawks team so uh, you get a team like arkansas who can uh, come in and maybe bully their way to a couple better looks and and get some open threes get out against in transition them. against a right. a kansas defense that And per shot quality, that's their biggest defensive liability is transition defense. Yeah, exactly. It is definitely a pretty large liability for them. Um, You know, they're also actually pretty bad uh, at at cuts to the hoop. So make sure that the Arkansas team is cutting to the basket. That'll help them against Kansas. But, uh, you know, we definitely agree on Texas. I think that's actually a really good sleeper pick in Arkansas. Um, One of my sleeper picks for if you wanted to come out of that specific region um you know i think i mean it is crazy loaded and some of the teams in this region right st mary's yukon tcu gonzaga northwestern ucla all fighting against that arkansas and illinois winner and kansas i mean that is just ridiculous i think that's probably yeah one of the craziest regions almost every season the west always seems to end up like that um but 
And you get to stay up late and watch those games, which is fun. Uh, but, you know, I think for me coming out of there, I think that, you know, St. Mary's is probably getting slept on a little bit. I, I, they get that matchup against VCU, but everyone thinks the A-10 is terrible. And if anyone's even close to correct, then, you know, St. Mary's should cruise on into the second round. Rams got and a lot of shooting U- luck in the A-10 tournament uh, title game. Too. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> they did. Uh, and then look. UConn coming off of that game, they're ideally going to beat Iona. I mean, that would are be they? awesome to see. Are they? I, I think Dan so. Hurley I think against so. I Rick think... Pitino. The problem is, is that Iona is not usually the smaller team on the court. I think they're going to struggle with that, honestly. But let's let's say you get UConn St. Mary's, and think that is going to be a crazy matchup yeah. that I think St. Mary's has a really good chance to come out of. And then again, they get to face that Kansas team or that Arkansas team. Um, I don't know. The West is going to be crazy. I think you know Texas feels like they have a little bit of an easier run. Uh, in my perspective, they're a top five team on shot qualities yeah. data for defense. Uh, we posted an interesting trend on our Twitter today. I believe, like, out of the last five years, out of the last four years, um, of well, five, of course, COVID ruined one. But you know, there's a really interesting shot here. Like, when you lead shot quality in defense, you have a like it's happened really well and that's Iowa State this year is far and away the best defense on shot quality so um, if you don't trust Texas uh, I think Iowa State's worth a really really interesting sprinkle I think that defense could cause problems if you really think it travels uh, they are they are elite Um, I know the adjusted defensive metrics are a little bit different for them but they're still going to come into like the top 10 for that I think you really need it to be one of those top 10 defensive metric teams to make the uh, the final four, probably without a doubt, top 20 in terms of defensive efficiencies. So St. Mary's is really interesting to me. Iowa State's really interesting to me. The problem is, of course, is that like, you know, UCLA, Alabama and Houston are all going to be pretty weak spots, I think, like. I know, I know that like Houston might not be now with the Sasser injury, um, but yet to see how he's going to do. But I think you want like one of those teams, like a even a San Diego State, like if they can just clamp you down for like a couple games and get some good shooting luck, that's the type of thing that can lead you to win the the big dance, right? <laughs> it's not necessarily oh who is actually the best team. It's like who is like dependable in certain places, and then because of that, like gives them a chance to be lucky enough to win right like that's, that's what we touched of, down with with unc from right, the get-go exactly that's exactly what i was going to say too like unc had like these facets that continue to put them in places to get lucky and and that's why like playing features throughout the season is really about getting the best number and and finding yourself on on good lottery tickets because it is so much luck i mean you can't win the national championship without some hot shooting days an opponent going cold it's just you're very very hard pressed to find you know six straight wins against teams that performed as expected or better uh there's going to be some luck along the way so you know make sure you take that into your considerations don't get too upset if your 35 to 1 doesn't hit um it's it's a tough game it's a tough game but it should be a really fun one i mean these games are going to be awesome i mean that's why i always try to make sure i i only bet enough where like i'm into it but like i can't i can still watch the next game if i take an l so (laughs) right for sure uh going back to texas here really quick and then we'll get out of here justin you go back to 2019 when texas tech was the runner-up losing to virginia at a long shot ticket on Texas Tech that season, that overtime session was not very fun after they made a late comeback, Jarrett Culver and that Chris Beard-led team. And obviously, Chris Beard was the coach 
of Texas. Now it's Rodney Terry and Longhorns coming off of that Big 12 tournament championship. So the comparisons to me, not only was it Beard's old team and obviously currently old team, I even though he's probably going to become the new or seemingly the new Ole Miss coach. Yeah, but you think about front courts and this Texas front court is just as athletic, if not more athletic than that Texas Tech front court with Tariq Owens and Norris Odiase. So I know the guard play gets a lot of hype for Texas and Marcus Carr finding his shot finally in the Big 12 tournament championship game against Kansas should pay dividends for Texas in, in March Madness. But you have Dylan DeSue, Mitchell, five-star freshman, and Bishop up front. This is a very, very athletic Texas front court that can give opponents opposing front courts fits, but also generate transition opportunities for their guards and Serge Jabari Rice, who I haven't even mentioned yet. Yeah, so I was like, you know, they they have so many options, Texas. And that's what makes them so dangerous is like, you know, you don't you can't like scheme out any one of their uh options. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of like the knock against Purdue, right? Is that okay, if you figure out how to take Edie out of the game, if you can Saint Peter's this team a little <laughs> bit here, right? I mean it's true. It's true. Texas doesn't feel like they have that same potential. Um, you know, they are, they are, honestly, it's, it's going to be a very interesting game against Colgate. Uh, you know, a little quick shot quality history, you know, without Colgate shot quality wouldn't be here, right? That's where now. it got developed. So uh, this is a big game for us. You know, we actually just tweeted today a little congratulations to Texas because they are one of our teams. Uh, so very interesting to see a shot quality team go against the shot quality home a little bit. But look, <laughs> Texas, man, uh, they force a lot of defensive turnovers, good defense against shots at the rim, uh, efficient attack in the rim themselves. It's just you're going to have so much trouble and Obviously, the committee was like to Colgate that you just don't play anyone anywhere near decent enough and stuck up. Right. Perennial returner to the dance at a 15 line is kind of like, a, hey, guys, <laughs> that strength of schedule is really rough. Um, but <laughs> no, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup. And I think this Texas team really shouldn't be an underdog against anyone right now. And that's just the truth of it. So when you're yeah. going to come on a show and say that, you better put them in your final four. So. <laughs> right. I have a I have a Texas future going back to the offseason. I bet that in July. And the number isn't, I wouldn't necessarily say to bet it right now, just because that Penn State potentially round of 32 matchup does scare me because the Nittany Lions, like we already hit on earlier, do match up really well offensively against a no middle defense that gives up its fair share of open threes. But the big liability, or at least the liability that I thought Texas was going to have this year was three-point efficiency, but they have the second highest three-point efficiency in Big 12 play. You hit on their ball pressure with Tyrese Hunter, who I think would be a, a big factor against Penn State, considering he would likely be assigned to Jalen Pickett, one of the best guards in college basketball. But Texas has the third-rated adjusted defensive efficiency per Bart Torvik, since last month. So over the last month, Texas is one of the best defenses in college basketball. We saw them give up 100-plus points to Kansas State earlier on in conference play. So their defense is finally right. Timmy Allen, per Ronnie Terry, who missed the last couple games of the Big 12 tournament, is back at full capacity, which is huge considering how well he does get in his hands in the passing lanes. And again, I mentioned that three-point defense for Texas. It's a little bit of a concern if they play Penn State. But for the potential Sweet 16 matchups, when you think about 
Iowa State, who I still think isn't necessarily as good as you mentioned earlier on. But again, it's it would still be a tough matchup considering it's a Big 12 foe. Uh, Mississippi State, who is dreadful from three. Xavier could definitely space them out. But again, I think they've gotten pretty lucky in their fair share of games as well. So I think Texas has a pretty good path besides the Penn State potential matchup in the round of 32, honestly, to get to the Elite Eight. And then the Marcus Sasser injury then for the number one seed in this region, the favorite to win it all throughout much of this season in Houston, definitely looms large. And also the Cougars' defense, to me, isn't nearly as elite as it's been in years past since they don't have that elite defensive wing in Tasmore going back to last season. So all in all, I like Texas. I don't know if I'm going to have them in my bracket to get to the final four just yet. I haven't decided. You kind of made me feel a little bit more optimistic about Indiana than I initially felt after the bracket reveal, but good stuff, man. Great stuff. Justin Perry, follow him on Twitter at Justin Perry eight working on all things, college basketball betting for shot quality and shot quality bets. And remember Alliance.com has given away a $25 Amazon gift card in our daily March Madness Pick'em Contest. For more details, head over to play.thelines.com. We'll have our bracket contest live on the website on Monday and subscribe to the lines on Apple or Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Justin, any last words here? No, man. And just thank you so much for having me. This was a blast to break down the games. You know, check out the Shot Quality Bets website. We are... Um, <clears throat> About to have a new value bracket system that kind of leverages the usage data across various bracket sites to understand like where we have the best, uh, I guess, market advantage on using shot quality picks versus what everyone else has. So that's coming out tomorrow morning, uh, Monday at around 9 or 10 a.m. Eastern. So just go sign up for the site. You should get access to it without too much hassle. And uh, yeah, give me a follow on Twitter. Shoot me any questions about shot quality. Always excited to talk about advanced metrics and trying to figure out college basketball so we can win some bets. Awesome. You can follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Thanks for checking out this March Madness betting preview presented by the lines.com. It's outside shots. <laughs>